0: You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was Add 10 Gallons? Add 10 Gallons? My first thought was, we got to put oxygen on it. Yeah, great. <laughs> 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 Trucks on
1: the way, way. <laughs> on the way.
2: On the way. Yeah, okay, I've got two observations, neither uh, of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> which are like most of my observations are.
1: There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that
0: can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits.
2: Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by ActiGel 208. ActiGel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now, in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, ActiGel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, ActiGel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let ActiGel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com.
3: And with that, we welcome you into the Add 10 Gallons Concrete podcast. And in case you're not an avid college football fan, uh, you you wouldn't realize the significance of that. The last time we talked to you, uh, Joey Bell was on cloud nine because his Tennessee volunteers uh, upset the Alabama Crimson Tide, and he had his day. The sun was shining directly on his face, and, and Paul took a shellacking. Well, uh, since then, they, they spent like four whole days at number one, and, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, which is more than none for sure, but it's not that, that much either. And then, uh, they got absolutely demolished by the, uh, the Gamecocks of South Carolina. So, uh, Sandstorm is, is their version of Rocky Top. So it's only fair, you know, on the good days, Joey hears Rocky Top. On the bad days, he hears a very popular, but very old, what would you call it?
0: Who cares what we call it? We call it victory. EDM victory it. for the victory for the Gamecocks. Victory yeah. for college football. Uh, you can't have the Vols on top for too long. You know, it actually reminds me of how Mississippi State was on top for like one <laughs> yep. week also. So I'm getting a lot of Mississippi State vibes. You know, Hendon Hooker is the next Dak Prescott. Yeah, don't say that. And uh, you know that makes me feel good inside. You know, congratulations Vols on your terrible defeat. <laughs> yep, true Vols fashion.
2: We we were. Technically, we were number one for an entire week because uh, the new poll didn't come out until the following Tuesday. So we were number one for a week. Um, and so, uh, that's yeah. something a volunteers fan would
3: say. No,
0: what's, what's terrible about, about these fans here is, like, no one talked more crap about other teams while also talking – horribly about themselves and their own team. They're like, yeah, screw y'all, we're the best. And then like five seconds later, they are like, oh, this is going to come crashing down. Oh, we're just so <laughs> screwed. And then, and then when it does, so then when they would win, they were like, they felt justified And on one end. And then when they lose, they're like, yeah, we told you. Like, what right. are you, talking about? Like, you can't you can't have both sides of it all the time. Yeah, I don't know who
2: those Vols fans are that was talking smack. Those are obviously new to the game. And haven't been around, <laughs>
0: haven't
2: been around the last 20 years or so because I did not boast to anybody because – uh yeah, I expected anything to come crumbling down at any moment in time. And that and that moment in time actually came this past Saturday. And yeah. uh yeah. it's liable to continue. I mean the bandy's still liable to beat us. I don't I don't count on anybody ever since Quarter- Georgia State beat us a few years ago. Quarterbacks hurt. Yeah. Right. ACL. Hookers man. out. Yikes. Got Uncle Rico in there now, throwing footballs off in the stands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man but the hogs took care of business. Arkansas Razorbacks came out and did they what they did. needed to
3: do. They did. They did. They uh they beat Ole Miss in in a stunning upset, which is always good because I mean, Arkansas will do that, man. They'll lose to Liberty, which is also a good team, don't get me wrong, but not like a SEC team. And uh and then they'll come off and and rattle off an upset or I mean, they almost upset LSU a week before that. So let's They let's should have. Yeah, let's be real. They could have had two really big wins, but you know they're bowl eligible. They'll go to a bowl. And as my boy Sam Pittman likes like to your say, "I beer. I think I'm gonna have one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna
0: have me a cold beer with Sam Pittman. Yeah, he sounds like a pretty, pretty solid dude. I him? wish he was my uncle. <laughs> the uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide won a game, 34 to nothing. That was probably the worst way you could ever win, 34 to nothing. I mean, it was. I've never seen a team look that badly and somehow you come out with like a final score that you're like, oh, okay, well, we dominated. No, we didn't dominate at all. We got incredibly lucky that that team kept going for it, like five yards from the end zone instead of kicking field goals. The referees, this is the first time you'll ever hear me admit this, the referees were actually on the Bama side this time. (laughs) Like We were were holding their players in the end zone so they couldn't catch touchdowns, and they were just like, yeah, it's incomplete.
3: You see, you see what happens, Joey Bell? The Alabama fans get a
2: couple multi law seasons, and all of a sudden a little humility falls upon their
0: shoulders. I'm it's funny how you. that works.
2: I, th- I think uh, I think the Georgia fans are worse, or at least they have been for the past year. I mean, they, yeah. they win one natty since color TV, and all of a sudden they a dynasty. Yep. Can we talk for a minute about Vanderbilt's quote-unquote storming the field and still getting fined a quarter million dollars? Yeah, you see they, that? They no. they
3: didn't storm anything. They walked out onto the field in a single file line, like all twelve of them. And <laughs> what? yeah, oh,
0: all right, hold on. Well, I <laughs> they broke have, I have they broke this. the rules.
2: They broke the rules in the nicest way possible, in an orderly fashion. So when Vandy knocked off Florida this past uh, weekend, they I guess technically stormed the field, and that all dozen you know parents and relatives that were in the stands. You know, made their way very nicely and in an orderly fashion down the stairwells, out of the stands, and onto the field, and just calmly walked onto the field to celebrate with uh, with the team there. Yeah,
3: it none was, of that's a dramatization. It looked more like a meet and greet
2: than like a storm the field. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like an eighth grade dance. I mean, it was just awkward. They didn't they didn't really know what to do. God bless them, and they still got fine it was like, <laughs> because the first time they. I guess storm I guess the first time they stormed the court was back in what did I hear or see like 2016 or seventeen when they stormed basketball court after some game and so of course the second violation was like a quarter mil. and so they got fined a quarter million dollars because probably less than a couple thousand people got on the field and uh, were hanging out. I felt bad uh, that they got fined. I was kind of hoping they'd start to go fund me like we did with the goalpost <laughs> no.
0: Quarter million dollars is the fine for storming the field for your second infraction for your second violation. I think that's right. Well, that hasn't stopped anybody.
2: No, no, because when you when we beat Bama, I mean, it was totally worth it.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what the thing, Like Any other program in the history of programs can afford it because they got more than ten people at the at the game. But like, I'm mm-hmm. not so sure Vandy's bringing in that much revenue in one home
2: game. They <laughs> pull some out of the medical uh, department there,
0: right? Okay, so. I remember the Vandy basketball court storming. And do you know why I remember the Vandy basketball court storming? Because people tripped going onto the court because that basketball court is actually raised up right. off the floor. Oh, that's right. And people just forgot that. <laughs> We're just trying to storm, falling all over each other, just, just a mess. Cheese. So. Glad to hear. You know what? So actually, storming the football field is probably lessons learned. If anything, we should be commemorating them. For understanding that like you can't rush out of there there are unforeseen obstacles. And sometimes it's best just to proceed in an orderly fashion. Yeah. Yep, they yeah. knew better.
3: Always always learning from Vandy. That's that's what they're here for to teach us some stuff. But speaking of learning some stuff,
0: let's bring it on back. Yep. Yeah, actually, I'm gonna take us to another university. I'm gonna take us to the University of Chicago. Okay. And up, up in the University of Chicago, they have in their possession what they're calling A concrete book. Not just any concrete book. This one is concrete book number 83. You guys know anything about this? Nope. Okay. Concrete book number 83.
3: Is there one through 82 or they started at 83 for some reason?
0: There's one through 100. Oh, boy. But the University of Chicago got their hands on number 83. They had to buy it. So why do they have to buy it? Well, it's actually a piece of art. The piece of art comes from a German-born artist, Wolf Vostel. That's how you say it when you're from Alabama. I don't know how they say <laughs> it in German. But old Wolf Vostel is out here uh, in the 1960s and 70s as part of like one of these little uh, international art communities that were doing weird stuff. And he decided, I'm going to make concrete a medium of art. So up until the 70s, that had never even been done. It was never even heard of. Like To us, you know, we're, we're growing up in this day and age, we actually think of – You know, concrete sculptures, concrete things can be really beautiful. Architectural concrete is a thing. Well, back then, the only thing concrete was used for was in, in like, the brutalist construction. So the Soviet Union was building concrete buildings and dormitories for everyone, and it was, like, perfectly square and super ugly, and it was just nasty. Well, this guy comes out, so it was kind of revolutionary in the 70s that you could think of concrete as artwork. So he actually wrote a short book called Concretifications, it was supposed to be a manual about the art of concrete. And as evidenced by his commitment to the material, according to this article, he purportedly encased 100 copies of that book in numbered slabs of concrete. And so you have these two-inch thick by what looks like it's probably about 12 inches high by about 8 inches wide uh, you know, slabs of concrete that supposedly have books inside of them. So in the past, people have tried to x-ray these things, but when they went to x-ray them, all they could see was rebar mesh inside of it. They couldn't see that there was any kind of pamphlet or anything. So before they go destroy this dude's uh, concrete slab, uh, he, they, wa- they want to make sure there's something inside of it. So they've actually, so here's, here's where it gets even better. They've taken this thing to some super-duper fancy laboratory uh, where they're actually doing... Uh, advanced photon x-rays all right so this laboratory is called the argon national laboratory it's spelled a-r-g-o-n-n-e the argon national laboratory it's shooting these super 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 bright photon light li- lights at it and it creates like the brightest x-ray you've ever seen and so uh, they think they found something but they haven't released the paper yet so what they want to do is uh, as their uh They've actually scanned an actual existing copy of the book, like a known copy of the book that's not in concrete. And now they're scanning uh, the block of concrete itself, and uh, they're going to publish the results uh, in a journal. But then at the end of the day, like, what are they going to do if they find it? I mean, this is not like they're going to break. I mean, I don't think they're going to break this slab open. But anyway, I mean, but I mean, that would be cool. But what would be hilarious to me is if the artist like told everybody he encased <laughs> This book is, you know, these books in the concrete, and he never really did. He just poured a bunch of concrete slabs and sold them to everybody. And oh, just, the ultimate troll. The ultimate troll. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what a cool kid would do. But
3: Yeah. No, that that's, well, because I guess the the question can go in either direction, right? So, like, if there is a book of value in there, and that's pretty much the value of the whole piece, which is, quote-unquote, art, are you supposed to destroy the art for information and knowledge? Like, is there a... Is there a, a deeper meaning there somewhere? Or, is, like, to your point, is it the ultimate troll where I'm going to tell everybody that there's something really valuable in here, and they're going to go through all this trouble and realize that there ain't, there ain't nothing in there of value? Yeah. It, it reminds me of, there was an artist, Banksy is who I'm thinking of. Banksy is a famous, a famous artist, and he had a piece recently sell at a New York City art gallery uh, for, two, for $25.4 million, Right? Okay. And when this painting sold, something something in the frame itself like triggered, and the the painting itself like fell down through the bottom of the picture frame and it shredded. Ooh. He shredded his own art upon upon sale of the painting. It shredded itself within mm-hmm. within the framework that it was sitting in, that it was being displayed in, Dude. and and the uh, the name of the painting was Love Is in the Bin.
0: <laughs> sold
3: for twenty five point four million dollars, and then after it sold, it
0: shredded itself. Oh my god! How does wow? It, how does the guy selling that not check the frame? Like, how do you not look at it? You just thought it was like the most hefty frame of all time, and because it, it must have been a shredder in there.
3: Yeah, man. Link is link is in the description of this uh, <laughs> of this podcast here. It's a New York. It'll it'll send you to a New York Post article. We'll, uh, we'll attach it there for everyone yeah, to go and look at it. It's pretty cool, actually. I mean, I mean, hey, if there's Ballsy. people out there that want to spend millions of dollars on artwork, which is essentially like it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. It's an arbitrary number, really. So, mm. hey, man, if you got that much money, if you got that few money, like, go ahead and
0: buy a shredded-up piece of artwork. I, I tell you what, though. Speaking of art, I don't know if people can hear a difference today on this podcast, but we're coming at you with an upgraded studio. Son, we are next level over here. I got me a Rodecaster
3: Pro 2 soundboard. I got I got preloaded sounds. I can mix audio on the fly. I got, man, I'm over here like a DJ just turning knobs slightly. Looking cool as heck doing it.
0: <laughs> we got these new fancy... I saw you turning me down over there. We got these uh we got these new fancy mics and uh we, we play one of our new buttons. Here I am hyping you up, but that's just rat poison, right? Now. It's
2: like taking poison.
3: Like rat poison. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got Nick Saban on the podcast now for as long as we want him.
0: Yes, sir. So we can't hype people up too much. We got to bring them back down to
3: earth. And before, like, for our Sandstorm intro, I would have to go in, and like I would either have to play it on my phone into the microphone like a cob, or uh, preload it into the show post edit but now I just push a little button and it's right there for the world to
0: hear Joe you should have seen Josh he's hooking all this stuff up right and he's getting his uh, you know getting his buttons situated and everything and he's and and he starts laughing to himself and he looked at me and he apologized sorry about that and I was like sorry for what he goes, I don't know these buttons they just just had me feeling some kind of way. I was, like, I was like, Josh, that's called happiness. You're feeling happiness. You don't have to apologize for feeling happy. Josh had not felt giddy in a while, dude. I've yeah, I
2: haven't I haven't been this proud of myself in quite some time. How many uh, how many uh, sound or spots did you say you had on that board? We got
3: fourteen programmed. Now we have space for up to twenty four. And some of them were like pre-programmed. I only put five in myself so far, but we got the
2: op. The options are endless. I wonder how many King of the Hill sound bites we can shove into that thing. I don't know. All I don't of them. know. We should de- we <laughs> we should
3: definitely clip this out somehow and uh, put it on our our, uh, our YouTube short clips, and uh, people can comment what sounds we should put on there. Mm-hmm. I think a Homer Simpson dope should be on there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it'd
0: be pretty good. Yeah.
3: Um, I know it's a kids show and everything, but we need a king of the hill. God damn it, Bobby! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I hope. I, yeah, I hope people can come up with some good stuff for us, and we'll we'll put it out there to the listeners. Like, yeah, well,
3: I'm excited about it. It's just a, it's the add ten gallons concrete podcast coming at you, and better and better each and every time.
0: Other things that are new, Joey Bell, you are in a new location. Why don't you talk us through where you're at
2: right now? I am. I am not in the circus that is my house with children and dogs. I am now, or right now, currently, just for, I guess, for this episode anyway, in the new concrete industry management building here at MTSU. Um, John and Sally were kind enough to let me borrow an office, you know, to come in here and record. It's, it's about an hour away from my house, but it, uh, it was just a nice, quiet place with good internet and it was a fantastic place to record. They've got a few empty offices around here and uh, didn't mind me borrowing one for a day.
0: I wanted so badly for you to hit like a round of applause button oh. on the soundboard. So <laughs> round of applause, let's add that one. Yeah. <laughs> Make
2: a note. Yeah, the uh, actually, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, about the ribbon cutting event.
0: I don't think um, we have. We, we had that month. weird dry spell of because we we're all so busy. I think yeah, that's it, they, it
3: was during that five week period where we didn't put out an episode, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But there, you just posted that little thing on LinkedIn where you basically locked yourselves out on the roof, <laughs> hangover style. Yeah, that's right. So let's
0: yeah. go, start from the beginning of the day, though. So the beginning of the day, you drove over for the ribbon cutting. to Walk us through uh, the new build and everything, t- the whole day, including your hangover moment.
2: Yeah. So uh, the the department sent out an invite to all, I guess all the alumni or any alumni that they had contact info for and whoever else um, to come to the ribbon cutting ceremony of this new building that they built here on campus. And that was mid-October. And uh, there were, I don't know, I think there were a couple hundred people here at least for that ribbon cutting event. And they had a couple different speakers, uh, the Dean of the university, Sidney McPhee. Uh, he was here, he, uh, he spoke for a little while John Huddleston, the uh,
0: CIM director. Yeah, John's good people. I would, I mean, I, I remember when I was at MTSU, I had a research grant to do a, a novel concrete mixture, and I was a junior, and I I really didn't know anything. You know, everything we knew was really booked, so I was in that lab every day at like 7.30 in the morning, and the only reason that project even got completed was because John Huddleston was dragging me through it, you know. <laughs> I was showing up, and the forms would be built, and I was like, "Oh, where these forms come from?" He's like, "Well, I stayed up all night building these forms for you." I'm like, "Oh, that was very nice of you." What what else are we gonna do? And he's like, "Well, this design isn't gonna work. You need to, you need to change it." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs>
2: yeah, I remember those days. You know, I remember John the same way. You know, being in the lab, and if there's any, I don't think there's anybody more deserving of the uh, the title of the new CIM director than John. He has literally worked this place from the ground up. And uh, he's doing an excellent job. Uh, but, yeah, he, he spoke at the at the ceremony. The, uh, the School of Concrete and Construction Management director, uh, Dr. Kelly Strong, he mentioned that this was pretty interesting to me. I didn't know there was this many alumni. We have 1,800 combined MTSU concrete industry management and commercial construction management alumni. 1,100 of those are CIM, 600 are uh, commercial construction management. I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know we had that many. Seems like a bunch in the last 20 years. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Uh, Chris Davenport, uh, who was uh, the, he was part of the first graduating class of CIM back in 2000. Jesse Boone, who we, we've had here on the show. She's the president of the CIM patrons. She spoke for a bit. Of course, Dr. Brown was there. Um, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people we know here on the podcast. Will Banks was there, Alec Yancey, uh, Natalie Martin. Just the, I, I guess the usual suspects that you see at a lot of these CIM events uh, here around Tennessee.
0: Sounds like a who's who of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast guest list. When that's, I'm right. Here.
2: that's right. That's we,
3: right. We poached that guest list for sure. Wow. <laughs> Go up. Yeah, I was
2: there
0: repping our uh, Add 10 and
2: ActiGel uh, swag too. So.
0: Yeah, that's... Well, they knew it was us when they were like, somebody got locked out on a roof. <laughs> oh, it has to be the Add 10 <laughs> guys for sure. <laughs>
2: yeah, quick story. So... I think it was, it was before the ribbon cutting, or maybe it was. Be- I forget before or after the actual like ribbon cutting, uh, we were kind of. It was myself, Kendall Kitchen, who was a fraternity brother of uh, Paul and I, and uh, Alec, and there was another guy. Honestly, I forget his name, so I apologize if he's actually listening. But we were just roaming around, just kind of looking at the building and looking at all the labs, and uh, these labs are so awesome. Just wait, big. labs plural. Yes, like oh. they have – let me see if I can pull it up here.
0: Yeah, please do. I, I didn't
2: mean to interrupt your story, but – No, no, that's totally fine. Yeah, the new building is 54,000 square feet, gigantic, huge building. Uh, costs about $40 million. Some of the stuff that's in here is a 200-seat lecture hall. It's a big hall uh, here in the new CIM building. About four – I think there's four basic materials and building labs, so four full-size concrete labs essentially – and a cement lab, you know, mortar lab, uh, a couple different things here on the first floor, uh, a dedicated mechanical, electrical plumbing, or uh, MEP classroom, a covered amphitheater, so you could have like outside demonstrations uh, with seating and all kinds of weather, two computer labs, virtual design and construction lab that could uh, you know, do any kind of construction simulation, as well as an augmented virtual reality lab. And it, this uh, this article that I'm pulling some of this info out of here kind of describes the CIM program a little bit and uh, what people can expect, you know, when you graduate from here. And, and I thought it was interesting. It was something, I guess it's something we kind of thought about, but never I n- never really thought about that much. But students graduating from CIM average about $60,000 in starting salary, and there's pretty much a 100% placement rate. So if you're looking for a degree... That you're pretty much guaranteed to get a job and make very good money for a, you know what, twenty-one year old kid, you know, fresh out of school. Man, this is the place to be. And we talk about it on the podcast. You don't have to go to college. You know, don't ever think that you have to go to college. But I would say if you have, if you want to go to college, this would be the place to go, and this will be the degree the degree to get.
0: Joey, I I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier because um, I knew we were going to talk a little bit about the the new building. And I didn't know if you – do you have, like, a, a favorite, like, moment or a favorite memory from your time uh, at school and, like, actually in the program? Because most of the time we're talking about college. We're talking about the dumb stuff we did. Uh, do you have, like, a favorite moment, like, from the program itself?
2: Uh, just trying to think. You know, there's a, just a couple, a couple of instances that kind of stick out. Uh, I guess one of the first ones was when I first met Dr. Brown uh, when she was – she was basically assigned as my um, – uh, what was the title? People just helped you out with your transcript and everything advisor. else. Advi- advisor, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it was actually when I switched to Concrete from recording to industry management. And I sat down with her and I was, let's see, I was a junior technically then. And I switched majors. And she kind of just went through my transcript and just kind of, she was trying to figure out how I could get out of college at a reasonable time and was just eliminating a bunch of these BS classes. I remember Paul got super mad at me because she eliminated uh, geology because I had already taken like a geography class. <laughs> and Paul had to go through some horrendous geology class apparently, and I just, get, I just got that, you know, just kind of nixed by the dean of the concrete department. But I that. Yeah, I'm still that. mad
0: about it. Still mad about it. Because <laughs> geology is easy. I mean, it was, it was like basic geology, like right, the right. hardness scale, volcanoes, tectonic plates, like nothing crazy. But the class was at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> Three, Monday, Wednesday, Friday <laughs> with a lab. Friday morning, 8 a.m.? Dude. And that was the semester that I was like the chair of act- like activities chair for the. So you mm. were up every night during homecoming, every night you're up to like 2 in the morning. So you're dragging her, because attendance, was one of those classes where attendance was required. Mm-hmm. So you're dragging yourself to this class. And so it was like on the fourth floor of the oldest building on campus. So there's no elevator. Fourth floor walk-up. It's hot. You get in there. It's a gigantic, it's a 90-seat room, not stadium seating. So 90 seats flat. Mm. And the, this little man's behind a podium. You can't even see over the podium. He's that little. And he's behind the podium, you can't hear anything he's saying. Turns the lights off, starts with his slides and just lectures (laughs) for an hour, eight to nine, three days a week. There's no way. So everybody fell asleep in that class. And so, like, as the sign-in sheet would come around, like, people would just, like, wake you up to sign or just sign for you. I mean, we got – once we figured out, like, oh, okay, we're all in this boat together, we're all up till 2 in the morning, and uh, you would just start signing your buddies in. But it was – it was awful. It was one of the only uh, classes I made a C in, and it was because I just slept through it. I couldn't help it. And then, because once you got to like the heart, like the end of the semester, you had to take the final, and you're like, I don't know what any of this is. Like, <laughs> it was it was absolutely, absolutely awful.
2: The, some other good memories came out of Folks's class, uh, believe it or not. They're they're good memories now, but at the time, man, it was it was pretty tough. Uh, I feel like
3: I know the guy as much as yeah. you
0: guys talk about
3: him. I yeah. know, he's the he's the don't be average guy.
0: Yeah, don't be average. Yeah, don't he be average. If,
3: if if money's tight, don't pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's him. That's
0: the lesson. That's the lesson I took from college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. You know, and, but it's interesting that you know so many memories that we made were made uh, from living there. And there's so many people mm-hmm. out there that go to college living at home, or they do school online. And I just. Like, I just think back to it, and I'm like, man, there's no way. Like, every memory we made was from the fact that we were immersed in that. Uh, hey, bringing this back for a second uh, into the construction space, I saw something pretty interesting that, uh, like, the whole, like, carbon neutral stuff that's, like, coming through, coming at us and everything. Well, we're not the only industry that's getting crushed by that, right? That, as in, crushed as in, like, it feels like you have a target on your back. And and we're we're here trying to defend our industry, saying like we sh- number one we shouldn't because people aren't calculating things correctly. Um, certainly not when you look at just U.S. stats only. But there's another industry out there that that emits the exact same amount, according to the experts, it, it, it emits the exact same amount of carbon as us, and that is the steel industry. Mm. And so they're out there trying to like tell everybody that like. They're a green solution. It's so like, they put together, <laughs> for everybody who can't see this, uh, Josh just rolled his eyes literally into the back of his head. Uh, but they went out and actually uh, tried to say that they are like better than concrete or the equivalent, like CO2. And people should stop giving them a hard time and they should actually buy more steel and tried to like run this huge thing. Asked everybody about how green they were and i just read it and i'm like this this just reads like propaganda it re- it literally re- reads like propaganda being passed off as science and i'm just tired of people doing it. i'm I like why are we all pretending that's what it feels like it feels like we're all pretending and they're just massaging statistics to like fit a narrative and it just oh it's 100% what's going on it's really confusing and I don't know why like smarter people aren't standing up and saying like uh that's nonsense and we should just call it nonsense and, and not just picking on the steel guys like the narrative coming out of our industry we, somebody, we, we need leaders to stand up and say hey that's nonsense we are good people doing good things with natural resources and we should be commended for that and we should continue to build with strength no, I'm with you.
3: No, 100%. The, the, the problem is the people who are playing the game, right? They're playing the game, they're saying the buzz terms, they're doing the woke Westernism, You know, they're going through that dictionary, and they're paying the money for the carbon credits and all those other things that actually don't do anything but line the pockets of some, some politician with a PJ. The problem is the people doing it that way, in my opinion, which is the wrong way, they're basically blowing smoke, they're the ones getting rewarded. So until that changes, we're gonna we're gonna be having this conversation again. And you know, to the steel industry's credit, they look at who's winning this battle and who's losing this battle, and they're like, you know what? I'm gonna get in the mud and fight with the pigs, and I'm gonna win this thing by lying to people.
0: Yeah. I, you, and, and I, t- until
3: until that's I, not rewarded, that's what you gotta do. Yeah, I mm-hmm. hate to
0: go as far as as truly lying because nothing that was written in there was like truly a lie, deception. But like the way it was written, I was like this. Who is, who's reading this? Being I mean, like, yeah, that's right. Steel manufacturing is totally carbon friendly. <laughs> yeah, what are we, what are we, and we had that one thing we read this weekend where they're like, oh no, this this is going to be totally carbon neutral. And I was like, oh, how'd they do that? The Pac-12 championship game is going to be carbon neutral. That so the Pac-12 that so we're talking about the college football Pac-12 conference uh, championship, conference championship game. game put out a statement bragging that it will be the first carbon neutral championship sporting event josh you want to tell the people because the presenting sponsor bought enough carbon credits to offset the carbon
3: that's being emitted from the event which is also probably a bs arbitrary number but they bought enough carbon credits and i'm saying that in air quotes that now all of a sudden there's there's
0: it's carbon neutral because they paid enough money to somebody that doesn't it literally doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> i know it's, it's, like it's, i don't i literally don't understand like how that works at all yeah
3: that's it. what we're up against here i mean we have all these people in the concrete and cement industry going through all this trouble and all this money for studies and and you know, examining carbon sinks and how we can do things better and more efficiently, and you're spending all this money. Meanwhile, some old boy that wants to, <laughs> that wants to sponsor uh, a football championship game pays money to some industry or organization, and then all of a sudden, bang, they're in the clear. That yeah, ties into what we were talking about with the steel industry. They're like, oh, well, we're just going to come out with this total BS study and put rose-colored glasses on it. And you guys are going to be like, "Oh, look at the steel industry; it's not as bad as we
2: thought." Yeah, our backs up against the wall uh, in so many places. Like even when I was just kind of looking for an article maybe to talk about during our section here, uh, just Google "concrete in the news" and go down the news, you know, section of Google, and at least every page, if not every other page, is somebody throwing a fit because they're putting up a concrete plant somewhere—just a concrete plant. Yeah, uh, and. Their fears are, you know, dust and noise pollution, and they, they pulled all kinds of terms, you know, out of wherever. Uh, but it's just stuff like that. I mean, people are grasping at straws trying to prevent some of this stuff
0: from happening. Yeah, so my question was, where does that money go? So you pay for your carbon credit, which now lets you pretend that what you just did was green. But where does that money go? Do you know where it goes? Okay. Well, I looked it up. So what it means is, the money that you pay, you are funding other businesses that are doing like these green initiatives that are supposedly going to actually cut carbon out of the out of the uh, out of the atmosphere, out of the world, or, or change the way things are done, or whatever. So. The carbon credits are essentially funding a marketplace of ideas so that people can actually carry out work that's real. Right.
3: So when so when you go to propose a plan for a green initiative project and you get funding for that, that's where the funding for that green initiative project comes from is some other guys buying carbon credits.
0: It could be. It could. The carbon credits though are like usually managed through an exchange. So I'm not sure who the lender is though. Right. Who's the person that's accepting and then uh like lending them back out or selling them again, reselling them and just it's just so so weird it's weird that like we all not we all but somebody has agreed that this is a system that is okay yeah. like oh yeah that's <laughs> that's totally totally normal world that we're living in and uh i got one more thing for you josh before we get out of here I found an article. They Paul just... Paul's
3: new thing for every current event section is like I'm I'm gonna find the article that pushes every button Josh has to see how mad I can get him.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of this podcast now.
3: Yeah, we're just coming off midterm elections, too, so I'm on high alert no, right now. No, we're not. Okay, so <laughs> <stop. laughs>
0: We don't talk politics here, but I am going to talk about the government for a second. You're going to love okay. it. Okay. You're going
3: to... <laughs> we're going to talk out of both sides of your mouth there, Paul. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. No, 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 This is like bureaucracy, not oh, okay. uh, not policy. Okay. Okay. No, no, There's no red or blue here. This is just totally, uh, totally just crap here. <laughs> you're right. going to love this. All right. So... The fiscal audit for 2020 for the Pentagon. Oh, Jesus. Has been failed. What do you mean failed? They failed their audit. Well, that's the problem. So, so what? And the problem, the accounting problems inside of the Pentagon, just looking at the year 2020, they said it's going to take another seven years to actually fix the systemic accounting problems that exist inside the Pentagon. Quote, the process of getting to a clean opinion for federal agencies, it can take a long time. So the Pentagon has nearly $3 trillion worth of assets. I'm I'm surprised it's not more. That people can't properly account for. Oh, uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. <laughs> no this stuff that, has been misplaced. Is three point two. Oh man. Um. Here, here's the incredible part. So they ran an audit. It wasn't like who's the, they? I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Fourteen hundred auditors, government auditors, paid for by us. Sure, tested the systems on West weapon systems, military personnel, property around the world, and 100 site visits, 530 virtual visits, and sampling processes. It resulted in 24 standalone audits that comprised the total audit that was failed. The fees, the government, the tax money that we paid this is worse than the paying to kill the rats in New York City that we talked about in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And this with the fees that we as taxpayers, it was $203 million we paid to find out that the Pentagon doesn't know where their money's going. And do you want to know my favorite piece of this article? When do you think the very first time anyone decided to financially audit our Pentagon was? I'll tell you.
2: I know the answer to this.
0: 2018 was the very first time anybody ever thought we should check their books Mm -hmm. and see where that money, that $3 trillion Mm -hmm. is going. 2018, the first time ever. And they failed that one. They failed the one in 2019. They failed the one in 2020. And they said, we're not going to have this fixed till 2027. It's unacceptable, man. It's unacceptable. And
3: if there's a shred of accountability – that existed at all within our entire government system, especially our defense program, if there was a, a little, small shred of accountability, that, 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 that's not acceptable. Like Who in the heck has the audacity to come out and say, like we've misplaced over $2 trillion worth of taxpayers' money, and uh, it, it's going to take us seven years to figure it out. Seven years. And they won't. And they won't. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Nothing's going to come of this. Nobody's going to be held accountable. Everyone's going to keep their job. If anything, more tax money is going to be wasted to come up with more questions that there's no answers to. All right, man. Well, let's get this on the rails here. Um, what the, uh, the glorious part about our new equipment is that our audio comes in super clean and super smooth, but it wasn't always like that. So uh, due to that, this fantastic interview that we have for you guys with Dr. Tyler Lay from the Oklahoma State University— um, he talks about all the great things that he's doing down there with Paul and Joey, but I couldn't be present because my microphone wasn't
0: working. No, no, my microphone wasn't working. Yeah, but, I couldn't get your microphone to work. That's what the problem was.
3: So I said, here,
0: use mine. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Josh stormed out of the studio. I was upset. I don't even know where he went. Cause I, that was a long interview, and you never came back. So I, I don't know what happened to Josh, but. I became emotional. The <laughs> <laughs> but, but the interview was fantastic, and I was glad I was able to do it. You know, when we first started this podcast, we had like a short list of people that like we really wanted to come on here. And, and Dr. Lay was one of those people. We were fortunate enough, Joey and I were actually able to visit Dr. Lay at Oklahoma State uh, a little bit earlier this year. So we had a little bit of a relationship with him before the podcast interview. So it was really great to get his insights and opinions, uh, find out what he's working on, what he's got going on in the future. I mean, just really a solid guy and appreciate him and all the work he does on YouTube.
2: Awesome.
3: Awesome. Yeah. So without any further ado, we're going to get right into it for you guys. This is Dr. Tyler Lay.
0: Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you joining in. We've got the one, the only Dr. Tyler Lay. Thank you, sir, for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This is really Dude, cool.
0: I just said it a minute ago before we started to record, but like when we put this thing together, we're like, hey, who's somebody we want to have on this show? We want to do a good enough job that one day these people will come on our show, and you were one of the people who made this short list, so we are
1: honored to have you. Man. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here, and it's fun, and we had fun hanging out together before when you came and visited me, and, and um, I'm sure this is going to be a great time as well.
0: Yeah, Joey, did you see the video that uh, Dr. Tyler Lay sent to us uh, about that pour?
1: Yeah, I was
2: telling him uh, why we were while you guys are working on audio stuff that, uh, yeah, it turned out really, really well. Uh, I'm excited to see that, that machine, you know, kind of be upgraded and kind of where it ends up and just seeing, you know, where it was and where it's going to
1: be.
0: Dr. Lay, can you tell the audience here what it is that we did together and where your prototype stands at this point?
1: Sure. So you guys came to visit me and we were um, working to 3D print concrete um, using ready-mix concrete. Well, Ready mix S concrete. I don't think the mix you saw was ready mix, but we're using ready mix type type stuff now, and so it's using um, three quarter inch maximum um, normal size aggregate. It's um, using everything you can get from from a ready mix plant with a few admixtures that we add ourselves, and uh, we print it around rebar. It's kind of strange. It prints from the side. I call it printing side saddle. So like, like riding a horse side saddle, sometimes you do with your, with, your, with your your feet thrown off the side, that's where the printer comes. It comes in from the side of the rebar. So if you imagine pr- pouring a footing then you imagine the rebar coming up out of that footing, this printer kind of comes from the side from one direction and prints, and it has this back plate, kind of catches the concrete and forms it, squeezes it, and um, there's no vibration needed, and it's not perfect by any means, but... It's economical, it's easy, it's simple. And the best thing is if, if you can rent a skid steer, then you've got yourself a 3D printer and you can start doing walls and other things like that. So it's pretty fun, pretty cool. Well,
0: that's the best part about your setup. It's not complicated. Yeah. You attach it to the front of a Bobcat and start rocking and rolling. I think, I don't want you to shortchange yourself here. The side of the wall that you printed when we were there, the side where the material the concrete material is actually coming out of the extruder that side of the wall was phenomenal you couldn't tell where one lift began and the other one ended and that to me is such a leap forward for this industry that we're calling 3d printed concrete
1: well thank you so much we we, we've been working really hard on it and um you know i've got had some amazing students work on this. this has been a goal of ours we've been Um, just cranking away on it again and again and again. And, you know, if you work on something hard enough, long enough, eventually you got to get lucky. So um,
0: (laughs) you got to get lucky. So we were talking earlier about uh, what the next steps are because right now it is a prototype. It's in the engineering phase at the university. You guys are working to make it something that can be commercialized. Um, What's your next step here?
1: It's a great question. Um, We're looking for partners that have problems that they want to solve. And then we want to bring this to help, Um, solve their problems, whatever that is. And I I think we just need to prove it to people, truly. So we're planning on doing um, a 30-foot long wall. Um, I hope before it gets too cold here in Oklahoma. And we're we're gearing up for that now. And we've already printed eight foot high. We've already printed around doors, around window frames, um, um, things like that. If there's something else really challenging that somebody wanted us to do, I mean, that's the type of stuff that we need to hear about. And um, just keep keep moving it forward. But we would love to find people to collaborate with because innovating is fun, but innovating with friends is even more fun. So,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. But one of the things I don't want to gloss over this because one of the things that you mentioned that your system does, uh, we we can call it side saddle, uh, come up with fun names, but it prints around rebar. And as we look at it with the three D printing uh, landscape. The number one problem they have is the sheer stress that's imparted on these walls is causing cracking. And you don't see that in the photos that are taken from 20 or 30 feet away of some structures that are actually very impressive and look very nice. But you get a little bit closer and you start selling these cracks and they're one millimeter thick or more. They're huge and they're clearly settlement cracking. And part of these things, you know, so you're going to need good sub-base You're going to need to have printing uh, when you're using thin nozzles. Uh, The consistency of the product is very, very difficult to control. And then the reinforcement inside of there. These are all challenges that nobody's quite solved. And when we saw your setup going around a heavily reinforced wall, not heavily, but well reinforced wall, uh, that was probably the most impressive aspect of what we saw.
1: Thank you so much. No, I, I think if you don't, you got to meet, te- you got to introduce a new technology in a way that can do what people are doing today and then do something better. And I think if you're not printing around rebar or if you're not including rebar in your system, then I think you're, um, I don't know, missing out. And I think that the people that use something like, they kind of use the mortar as a form, um, 3D printed mortar as a form that then they come back and fill in with rebar and, and, and actual poured concrete. That's a lot of extra steps. You know what I mean? That's a lot of. Um, I'm just not sure it's it's economical. I'm just not sure it's it's practical. And and our goal was to find something that meets the building codes today. That that you you could look at it and you wouldn't even necessarily know it was a 3D printed wall. That's our goal. We're not to the point where we can make, um, you know super clean finish i mean there's always a little bit of problems a little bit here here and there with the finish but but that can be cleaned up with a human easily a human can come after the machine and touch up anything that's not um you know you know perfecto but that's i guess that that's another benefit of this system is that it's it's flexible and it can do lots of different things and if there's any mistakes you can just fix it right you know then and there so yeah I'm, i'm glad you like it i'm glad you're impressed with it we've worked extremely hard on it and um You know, there's a video, I hope you'll include it or make it easy for people to find. You know, I should probably, I'll I'll make a link to it. If you just look at tylerlaycom forward slash um, um, 3D print, I'll I'll make sure that 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 takes it to the video that's out there right now. And I'll I'll make a YouTube video about this. I'm I'm a little behind, but I did release one today. So, and I've got a bunch more coming out. So watch for a full-fledged video where I explain, you know, the ins and outs of, of this system and how it works and what it's all about. Yeah, one thing I really
2: liked about uh, your setup is that you know, the conventional 3D concrete that we always refer to, it always seemed like so out there that you almost literally had to have a PhD to run anything involved with the project. And I don't want to say that you've dumbed it down or you know, downplay anything that you've done, but you, you've said it before, you simplified it. Uh, you know, using ready mix materials, using equipment that can be ran by anyone that can operate, you know, a bobcat or a skid steer, and I think that's huge, and I think that is going to speed up the process in which it gets adopted by the industry instead of your giant, you know, spider robot, you know, that's uh, that's laying mortar down all over, all over this job site. I think you've done a phenomenal job and streamlining that process to the to actual field work
1: well oh, thank you guys so much and i, I know um it can be better and i know it can be tweaked and you know improved but i really appreciate you saying that and, and again that's the goal we want to um we want to make 3d printing easy for people to do and we we want to make it everywhere using um simple equipment that, that anyone can adopt and and move ahead not not super expensive stuff and uh so, yeah, like I said before, if you can rent a skid steer, then uh, you can you can start to 3D print stuff. And uh, but yeah, but there's all kinds of stuff we're doing now to um, control it, to make it more sophisticated. But it doesn't have to be, you know, but to where where we can automate the controls of of the system. We can right now drive our skid steer from a, a phone, which is cool. And, and we're automating the, the controls to make it even better and uh, make it so you could input a 3d model and then print from there but we're not that's not happening yet that's not that's not where we're at we're just trying to get out there where any human can drive this thing and move it around and and print and, and do you know awesome stuff with it so
0: well i love that you're admitting that it's not perfectly done yet you know a lot of the people that are out there talking about what they've done they they act like they've solved all the world's problem and then you go out there and see it and you're like wait a minute You know, you've got several unanswered questions here, uh, but you're not doing that. And one of the questions we had when we were there, and I wonder if any progress has been made on this, is at some point you're going to have to take these walls and you're going to have to have abutments. They're going to meet each other. And if you're doing four walls of a house, that last wall is going to be pretty tough with the way it's set up. Uh, How do you think you're going to meet that challenge?
1: That's a good question. Um, so the way, the way we print now is we set up a header to begin the wall and you print up against the header to get started and then at the end of the wall you would have another header that you would um, print up against to finish against. So the only formwork you would need would be at the very beginning and at the very end. You wouldn't need any other formwork you know, between. That, that last wall, you may have to do like a leave out where you have to pour something in place. Um, like the, the last corner, you may have to pour something in place. We actually may get creative in, in how we do that with where we, where we make that a wall or we make that, or I'm sorry, make that a door or make that an opening or add something else there. There's, there's a lot of ways you can get around problems like that. So if you can 3D print 98% of all the walls with all the windows and doors in it, you can live with doing a little bit of something that you drop in, like maybe you drop in a precast member, maybe you, you know, conventionally form and pour that, that last, you know, bit in place. There, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And we're just focusing on printing really good walls right now, straight, clean, tall walls that work out well. And then we'll, we'll, we'll start working on some of these other things. We, we can do curved. That's not a problem with our system. So you could do some kind of radius on the end there, but that'd look kind of funny, I think. So we'll see. I, I don't like I said. There's there's stuff that we still have to figure out, but um, I think it's a it's a step ahead.
0: No, I appreciate that answer. And uh, you know, as we're thinking about these systems going forward, try and paint the picture a little better for the audience because the majority of this audience is audio only, and then we've got a few hundred followers on LinkedIn that see our clips that we post. But for the audio only, guys, uh, Joey, do you describe this when we we're looking at it? As similar to like if if someone made a slip form paver that you were able to attach to a Bobcat. That was the closest thing we could come uh, come up with. Do you do you have better, Joey? I think Joey described it pretty well after we left. Yeah, if I had to
2: compare it, it would be slip form like a curb. It was almost like uh, it was almost like you were stacking curb. You know it was a similar kind of mix it seemed like the method in which it was placed uh, was very similar to curb now if you would attach uh, dr. lay's you know uh, attachment to you know curb something like a curb machine I think it, it would almost mirror that
1: yeah you know I, I think it is like a slip former um, in a way and it, it right now we're placing in about eight inch high lifts and eight inch wide lifts but we we can do we can vary the width and we can vary the height. I don't think we can do any less than about four in the width. And I think um, we could do eight inch wide and um, 16 inch high right now. So imagine printing blocks like that, that stack on top of one another again and again and again and again to get up to eight foot or 10 foot high. That's the way we do it. And if you're kind of confused on how will we we ever form this because we want to go through the concrete, we have an arm that goes up and over the rebar. So there's an arm that goes to the other side. So imagine you pour footing, imagine rebar sticking up out of the footing. Imagine this printer that's coming along that's hooked onto the bobcat, that's got a one end that spits out from one side and the arm goes over and catches it on the other side, and then they they drive forward. And so you might say, like, oh well, you can only do it like one story high, right? Because your arm can only go so high. Well, there's no reason it has to be an arm. We could do two different machines that are that are synced to one another. So as they as they drive along, they would, one would one would um, put the material out, and one would actually catch it. And so if I was ever gonna want to go really high, like three or four stories high, that that'd be the way to do it. You know, a SkyTrack on one side and um, something like our, you know, I don't know, printer um, on the other side. But you could do it with a crane. You could do it with a lot of different things. There's there's a bunch of different ways to do it. This is just, again, we're just walking, we're just trying to print, you know, something simple and make it so that people can make something like one-story structures really, really easily. And that's the that's the goal so far. No, it's great. So
0: the reason I wanted to go into that comparison to the Slipform curbers is because people that are just listening to this on audio, they're going to want to try and relate it to something that they can be grounded in. And... Truth be told, that irritates me when I'm talking about the product that we represent. People are like, oh, so this is like X, Y, Z. Well, kind of, but not really. So yeah. a little bit of an apology there, Dr. Lay, that I had to do that to you
1: when I don't like people doing that to me. But It's well, all totally good. No, 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 no. I think it's good. I think it's that's how people learn, yeah. right? They take something that they know and then they augment it from there. And this is a slip-forming machine. I'm a big slip fan. Of slip forming. I mean, this is like a slip-form machine that stacks and goes up. It's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as that. But if you had to provide a very easy way to kind of show the two one another, we're basically slip-forming in the air. Yeah, it's pretty
0: cool. But I want to go back a little bit. So when you're discussing this technology and this invention, you keep using we. We've been working really hard on this. We
1: put a lot of time and energy into this. Who is we? How did this get started? So I was challenged about three and a half years ago by my dean. His name is Paul Takowski. He is a big, big concrete guy, but he—he's now the dean. So he's way up there, very, very, very high up there um, um, at OSU. And he said, "Tyler, we need our students to have a different kind of experience in the senior design. It doesn't—it shouldn't just be all civil engineers working on stuff, mechanical engineers working on on their own stuff, electricals, you know, working on." on their own stuff. We need a multi senior design class. We need you to come up with something that we could bring everyone together in the entire college and come up with a concept and idea. And you know, Paul, I was exasperated with what was going on in the 3d printing world. You know, I was seeing it and I just didn't feel like there was a lot, I, like I didn't feel confident that what I was seeing was gonna, was gonna make an impact. And so I said, well, let's, let's try to do something different. Let's, let's try to 3D print concrete, but let's try to do it in a, a new way, a different way, a game-changing way. So I've taught classes from 16 students. I've taught classes with 30-some students. I've taught architects, architectural engineers, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical technology, electrical technology, like just you name it. Ton, I mean, industrials too, just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons, and tons of different students been more than 60 students that have worked on this project so we built five different printers four of them didn't work very well but this one does okay so we've automated cranes we've automated um, pumps like i have my own pump in in my lab we've we built normal normal gantry printers we've done mortar mixes we've done concrete mixes We've done more than, I think we totaled up more than 500 different trial batches of um, different concrete mixtures. And um, we tried a lot of stuff that didn't work, but we found some stuff that did. And and so um, that's, that's kind of been the secret. That's kind of been the fun. So that's been a, an awesome team. I've also been co-teaching this class with a guy named Jim Beckstrom. He is awesome. Mechanical engineering background, worked in the oil industry for a long time. He has been amazing to work with um, and a lot of fun, and we've just been iterating and iterating and iterating and iterating and tweaking and tweaking and uh, finally getting to somewhere good. So I have a full-time PhD student that's working on it, and we're just trying to make great concrete walls right now.
0: Man, what a PhD project to be able to be involved with, and uh, we got to meet Jim when we were out there and yeah, he's awesome. He was awesome. And the one thing I'll say about him in relation to this project is pride. He was so proud of the machine that those kids had built, uh, because as much as he may be working with you as the kids that, uh, welded that thing together and put that thing together and built that and designed it. And he just had immense pride as he watched that thing print concrete.
1: Yeah. So I, like I said, I've taught probably six or seven classes uh, on this, and every year we pick something else to work on and something else to work on and something else to work on, and it is amazing to see what these students can do. And so big props to all of them for all their hard work and all the cool stuff they've been able to do, and I'm looking forward to doing doing the class some more, teaching some more people.
0: What was the reasoning to go from a mortar mix to a, a real concrete mix with course aggregates?
1: Yeah, mortar is, is cool, but um, mortar is pretty expensive because it, it, it's got a lot of paste in it. It's also not, not very sustainable. It's not very durable. It'll shrink a lot more. It'll crack a lot more. It's like um, concrete's younger brother that just doesn't quite perform as well. So I think that's, that's where you need that, um, that coarse aggregate in there. I mean, it, it does so much good stuff for for our concrete. And, and it, you know, when, when when our industry talks concrete, they don't think mortar, they think concrete. You know, they think rocks and sand and cement and water and whatever else you want to add to it. And so there's a really good reason we use concrete in 99% of everything that we build because um, it's just such a more durable product than uh, mortar. So,
0: But if you ever make, a concrete textbook. The definition of mortar now has to be concrete's little
1: brother that
0: doesn't do his good job.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Well, I don't know if I'll, if I'll make a textbook. I I always make um, videos instead. That's where I try to put my extra time, but um, I love that. I love that though. And, and um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it rang true with you. It's kind of funny that that, uh, Paul, you
2: brought that up because while Josh and I were at ACI this past week, we sat in on the uh, 3d, concrete uh session and uh or it was actually one of the committee meetings but there was a 30 to 45 minute friendly debate on whether conventional 3d concrete that we all you know know of and talk about if it should be listed as concrete or mortar i mean there was a legit debate going on about that but it was just funny to me you just brought that up because they were break they were literally breaking out dictionaries <laughs> like well you know the concrete needs coarse aggregate this doesn't have coarse aggregate in it well we can't call it mortar yeah, you know but all- and i don't know there was uh, there was all kinds of chirping from across the room to each other about whether or not actual 3d concrete was concrete
1: yeah well it's not it's not to me
2: <laughs> oh yeah, sir. it wasn't to me either. I was like, I think
1: <laughs> throw some rocks in there if you're gonna call it concrete. It's mortar. Yeah, exactly. It's mortar. Yep. Just call call it what it is. It's sand, cement, water, some other stuff. It's mortar. That's the definition of mortar.
0: There's a lot of people that think that. Well, most people are thinking of when they think of 3D printed concrete. So everybody has heard your system, Doctor Lay. It looks different than. Uh, what we probably traditionally think of with the trust system and the little boom coming down and printing out similar to how a, a plastics 3d printer would do uh, there's people who think this is going to take over the world and we've talked on this show many times people are probably tired of hearing about it that we're not so sure so that's why when we start talking about your system we get all excited it was because it seemed like it was grounded in reality um, but when you go to these uh, ACI committees and people are talking about it, or Dr. Lay, when you're out in the industry and you hear people talking about it, what sense are you getting from industry folks about where this is headed?
1: I think that um, they all agree with you. I think that this is, a, like, the mortar-based um, printing is a is good. It's cool. I think there's some good applications for it. I think there's some things that it can do. I think it's neat. Like, don't think that I'm a hater on it. I'm not a hater on it. I think it's um, it's got a lot of possibility. But as far as being, I think it's an interim step. Okay, I, I don't think it's the thing that will change everything. I think a version of 3D printing will change everything. A version of it. Okay, but I I think the mortar stuff is an interim, and and no one should feel bad about that. If you look at through a history of any technology and how it's developed, there's always interim steps. Always, 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 always. And you must have those interim steps so that you can learn and eventually get to something practical. And I think all of these things are stepping stones to move along. And I think as humans, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to tell each other what worked, tell each other you know what didn't work, tell each other what, what we want, what we don't want. And then find something great in the end that can help the most people. And so, yeah, but I don't think the mortar itself is the final step. I think there's some cool things you can do with it, but I don't think it's where this technology is going to end up. I think there's going to be more iterations and tweaks in the future.
0: So the holy grail for the 3D printing guys really is like residential single-family homes. And that to me, that's where all the volume is. And I we talked about it in this show a bunch of times just it's so far away from that being a possibility but there are some systems right now that in a precast setting these 3d printed thing I mean it's just phenomenal printing out just fantastic culver boxes different thing pipes yeah. I mean just great great structures and uh, you know maybe that's an application where it really can take off and like you said there's no shame in that start where you can get a foothold and then go from there.
1: Exactly right. and I, I think everyone needs to find where, where it makes the most sense, and, and that's kind of what I was saying to you earlier when you asked me about what are the next steps. We'd love to find partners that that want a foothold, you know what I mean that, that are looking for some way to get in some application that they think this, this stuff would help them with because you have to you, you have to do really well in a localized market before you can start to do well in a much, much more you know global market from there. But I don't think tilt wall is going to go away anytime soon. I, I, I don't. I think it's very simple to do. It's very easy to do. You have to have a crane, okay? But, I mean, if you got a crane, I think tilt wall is a, an amazing technology, and I don't think it's going to go away any, anytime soon. I think that um, you just have to pick your poison. You have to pick out what, what problems do you want to solve. So
0: I never thought that those uh, 3D printed guys are going to be able to compete in the warehouse space. You go to these warehouse projects, there's and you see, like you said, see the tilt wall, there's, it's almost unfathomable to think that there's something that is more economical for these guys than pouring walls on the ground and just standing them up with a crane. I mean, it's, yeah. it's almost too easy when you watch them do it. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. But but you mentioned global application and I actually want to take this interstellar. So a lot of people uh, love talking about going to Mars and, p- and building things on Mars or building structures on the moon. And one of the things they started getting excited about is 3D printed concrete. Uh, have you followed any of this research? Are you uh, are you following these stories? What are you thinking when you're reading this stuff?
1: Um, you know, there's a lot we have to figure out. I know some of the people pretty well that are doing some of the Mars 3D printing stuff. Okay. And... Um, I've actually collaborated them a little bit on on trying to understand how reduced gravity affects hydration, and it's it's very um, interesting question. I think there's a lot of stuff we still need to figure out. All right, and but I think that if if we are going to colonize Mars sometime in the future, it would make a lot more sense to do it with Mars materials. You know what I mean? Some kind of materials that you, you know, the sand and the rock that you can dig up on Mars or get on Mars, the cement that you can produce on Mars. And um, that's where people are headed. And that's what people are going. And then using some kind of in situ machine that you could print on Mars. So I think it's headed that way. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen, um, but I think it's headed that way. And I think that when you go to a different place like Mars, um, then you, can, you don't have to follow a lot of this, the rules that we would want to follow in our concrete industry as much. You, know, you, can, you can bend some of those rules, and I think that may lead to some really cool innovations that people are willing to do on Mars that they're, maybe they're not as willing to do you know, in the United States. You know, the, the one thing that, that I think we need to figure out, though, is what is our binder going to be on Mars? Because Searle cements are what people have said that they'll use, and you can look those up. Those are kind of exotic cements that aren't used much in the United States or anywhere because we don't have as much of those materials here um, um, on Earth, but they have a lot more of those materials there on on Mars. So there still has to be a lot of work done with that material and how to make it economically there. And, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done. But I think 3D brings the future.
0: Okay, so two things to branch off that answer. Uh, One, the... Uh, cement hydration in space or in lower gravity environments are you involved in the work that's going at Penn State for that or is it someone else
1: yeah Penn State
0: yeah we've seen that uh data that early data well they've done two studies now and the second study I mean that was that was pretty cool to look at the the pace structure and and see that it is different when you're in a low gravity environment trying to compensate for that was very interesting
1: yeah no, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of really wild stuff to figure out. So
0: number two on that, I'm not sure why when we think of building structures on Mars, we have to think like futuristic. Why don't we think Aboriginal? So when I'm thinking about building a structure on Mars, uh, we're, we talk on this show about it's going to be almost. We think it's going to be nearly impossible to take weight on that. Rocket ship and say, I'm gonna dedicate right. this to binder, and we're gonna send right. binder to Mars. No, you're not. Yeah. you're gonna send things that are gonna help you survive When you get to Mars, you'll figure something out. But in that sense, if we're correct in that, then why not try to make like mud bricks on the surface and build structures out of out of bricks?
1: You could you could then but then humans are gonna to have to be in their spacesuits. And they're gonna have to, or the machines or whatever are gonna have to get out there and move it around. Why not do a a pourable brick? You know, because that's kind of what concrete is—is a pourable stone, right? Or pourable brick. Why not? If I'm gonna have have to have a machine that's gonna make the brick and place the brick and glue the bricks together, why not just pour it all together to begin with?
0: Well, yeah, I don't know that you even have to glue the bricks together. So when I'm maybe um, in that material, so the other structures that people may be working in, unless they're going to be in the spaceship building uh, from inside a spaceship and building a containment system or a home or whatever from from inside the spaceship, then I would think maybe they have an inflatable dome type of situation that has some kind of shielding on it. Again, we're getting way out here, <laughs> but this is what we do here. So they have the, some kind of inflatable dome, and they can bring materials inside the dome to build the bricks carry the bricks back out build your build your wall i don't know i just see i think simple like the more simple you're able to make the construction of this house like then you can start getting exotic later like let's get some walls up. let's
1: yeah i don't i don't disagree i'm not planning on going to mars even if they set it up up there i'm not going to go to mars so <laughs> pretty sure i'll die on the on the earth so, um, well. I don't know, but the future people maybe this podcast will be helpful for them. Like, like, like you said, keep it. Paul said, keep it simple. I love it. I'm a big simple guy, so I like it.
0: Appreciate. It. There's only a handful of people though that read that paper from Penn State other than us. So I just wanted to have this conversation while I have the moment.
1: Yeah, it's all good,
2: Doctor Lay. I kind of want to go back and uh, talk about what made you start the YouTube channel. Kind of take a whole different direction here because I know the YouTube is how. Many of us in the industry have heard of you. And so I kind of want to see what made you start that and uh, uh, everything to do with that.
1: Sure. Well, there's two things. Um, I had a National Science Foundation project. And as part of that project, I I wanted to do outreach to help kids learn about math and science. And I made an after-school program. To go into the schools and teach kids about math and science and I I worked with some education professors at, at OSU and they helped me hone my message. We had some hypotheses and tried them and boy, that after school program, we learned a lot of different stuff. I said, well, this is cool, but I want to scale it. So I want to get it into the classrooms. So I went and um, on on our campus we shot a video or um, two or three videos about some of the lessons that I we 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 learned, and the idea was to roll it out to the schools. We would give the schools some of the some of the DVDs, you know, yeah, back when DVDs were prevalent, right? And people could play them and watch them, show them show them to their classes, and um, we had hands on activities. They would do boxes and everything like that. It was it was really cool it was it was it was awesome and it's 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 been awesome it's it's used in about 20 different schools right now which is, which is really cool but at the same time a woman i um i was working with in in the, in the, in the um, education department just said why don't we just put it on youtube and i was like youtube what why would anyone watch it on youtube what is that i, I mean i was like sure why not might as well so started a youtube channel she puts it on, and I like don't pay anything. I like I come back three months later, and I had like sixty thousand views on one of the videos, and I was like, it, it wasn't very good. You know, the video was not was not very good, but it was like I was like, what is going on? Like, what is this? This is like unbelievable. It's like open my eyes to this. So then I did something called Hydration Theater, and I don't know if you can look it up at HydrationTheater.com. So I'd been I wrote a play. Yeah, I know. I'm a freak, right? I wrote a play about (laughs) hydration that we act out in my class every year. So everyone gets like, you know, a a molecule. They get like C3S or they get water or they get calcium hydroxide or they get etronite. And they become part of the play. Yeah, You can check it out for yourself, hydrationtheater.com. And and so we shot this video in my class and I posted it on YouTube, right? And that was back when YouTube would limit you to like – like 10 minute long videos. That's like the most you, you could ever see. So there's like a part one and a part two. So you can go check it out. You can go find a hydration theater. And I still teach it to this day. I know I've, I've, I've updated it a little bit, but I, I still teach it and I still use it. And it's just a fun way to get information out there. And again, I was shocked at how many people had watched it, had gotten out there and, and done it. So then I said, well, okay, I'm going to start taping stuff from my classes and putting it on YouTube, and so I'm going to use it to try to help teach people stuff, and dude, the first 50 videos weren't very good because you're just not very good the first time you do anything. You know, when you ride a bike, when you do whatever, just not very good, but then you start watching other people do videos, you get some ideas, you tweak, you whatever, and Man, that's where I'm at today, and I've made a dedication, I mean, I think it's something that's been really important for me, and I think it's been really important for the industry, and I want to, over the next 10 years, I want to continue to keep making YouTube videos. I don't know if I'll get one out a week, okay, I don't, I'm not going to make a rule like that, but I, I want to get a number, and I, I took a break, because I think all things in life, you have to take a break from it sometimes, and it makes you realize how much you miss it, it makes you realize how much you love it, it makes you realize how important it is to people. And and so um, that's one thing that's taught me from my break from YouTube is that is that it's something that I want to keep doing something that I want to keep making happen. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's really cool when I go out in the industry, when I go to ACI or I go to another meeting, I have people come up and take selfies with me and say hi. And please do that. If you ever see me come out, let's chat. I love learning about concrete. I love freaking concrete. man. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so I love meeting other people that are the type of people that would listen to this type of podcast, right? I love talking to you guys. When you came to visit me and chatting with me, we had a great time and great fun. And um, so I mean, that, that's some of the best parts of, of, of the industry. So so YouTube um, has been a great blessing to me, and that's that's why I've been doing it. That's what I've been doing with it, and I've got a. Dude, I got a lot of content stored up that, that that'll be coming out, and this um, 3D printing is going to be one of them that I that that I put out. Not quite yet, but it's very 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 soon. It'll it'll be out, and then you guys can be able to see it all. I'll be able to explain it and show you more information. So that that's a phenomenal answer,
0: and I I'll, I'll tell you this, and we spoke about this the day that we all hung out at Oklahoma State, which. we were there for like four or five hours it went by in the blink of an eye as we just talked concrete all day long and the videos i think they resonated so well with people like joey and i and i assume the millions of others who've watched these videos they resonated because you didn't talk down to your audience you explained things clearly but went through the difficult math and went through how you got, you know, how did this problem set become a problem? How did we solve the set of problems? And then what does that outcome look like? And you didn't dumb it down. And you said, you know what? I've got people that are really interested. This really want to know how this works. And I'm going to explain it clearly with enthusiasm, uh, because my audience can probably handle this. And you know what? You may not have known right away who your audience was, but. It was very well received by us because we appreciated that you were willing to go into that kind of detail and explanation for us.
1: Well, thank you so much for saying that. And You know, who I was trying to make it for was, was an older version of me. You know, when I started out in this industry, there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to learn. And I've had to read books. I've had to read articles. I've been on job sites. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff wrong. And I wanted to try to give that hand up to my older self, you know what I mean? And, I, and it's amazing that that resonates with other people. And I see young people in our industry and I see old people in our industry too. And, and, and that's, just a, that's just how you feel, I think, whether you're old or young. If you're curious and you wanna learn, that's the type of people that I wanna help with and I wanna, I, I wanna move ahead. And, and, um, and I've been taught so many different things by so many different people. And so just a chance to give back, just awesome just so much fun to
2: be able to do. Yeah, it's helped us out, especially the – we talked about it when we were hanging out with you, the tarantula curve. That helped us immensely on a big project we had, and I think it was the first quarter of this year. And we had a bunch of different mixes, and we were kind of showing what the workability, you know, was and how everything kind of just lined up with the tarantula curve. And then we also applied that out in the field, uh, fixing a couple of mixes with one of our customers. You know, we made just some – very simple aggregate adjustments, you know, aggregate ratio adjustments with the tarantula curve, and it uh, it helped us out, you know, professionally with the, with that customer.
1: That's awesome. I'm I'm glad it did. That was a, a ton of work, and that's stuff that we're still working on. And um, we're gonna we're gonna um, we have an upgrade to the tarantula curve. Not that anything I told you was wrong in the past; it was all right. But we're 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 upgrading it so to help you dial in your paste content to the tarantula curve as well. So you'll see some videos about that coming up. So it's not like there's an inter, there's an interaction between your aggregates and your and the paste you need in a mixture. So um that um, you know the curve right now doesn't necessarily tell you exactly how much paste to use and so watch for that coming up and we've done a lot of work on manufactured sands with that. We've done man we've done and I'll tell you another thing that's been awesome is I've been working with other contractors around the United States to implement um, the curve and in their, in their practices. And just to see the success on job after job, after job has been really, really rewarding and awesome. And, um, and so it's, it's just really cool to hear that, um, uh, you know, it helped you out too. Well,
0: not, not just helps out, but verifies something you're trying to tell somebody too. So when Joey shows up to like the one instance he's speaking to and they said, yeah, we're having some problems with this mix. And he said, Oh, well, you know, looks at it on paper and on paper, you think, ah, it's okay, but maybe we can change these ratios. But other than experience and just having made concrete in that market for 10 years and knowing that with these specific aggregates, we can probably make some changes uh, without that. You know didn't really have anything to back it up It was just kind of gut feeling because we hey we've been sure. making concrete here for 10 years in this exact market so we kind of know that if you change this a little bit you're what's going to happen but joe was able to plug that into this chart and this spreadsheet and boom you can see before and after of the mix design and then you can uh, quantitatively tell something what we expect was going to happen if we they made the change we success suggested that's awesome
2: it kind of paints a picture of that mix design, you know, like Paul, like you just said, you can look at any mix design, and it's it's simplistic form It's just column of numbers and you know the names of the material, and there's some people that can probably dissect that thing, and you know really know what the mix is going to look like on the ground and what to expect from it, but having that tarantula curve and having all these other having all this other information, you know, in that chart or on that page. It just it paints a picture of what that mix is going to do out in the field.
1: Well, good. I'm I'm glad it's been helpful. You know that that we did a lot of mixing in the lab and basically systematically changing different aggregate ratios and to find find and dial in all those um, uh, boundaries. We looked at slip forming. We've looked at pumping. We've looked at finishing. We've looked at you know things like slump. We've looked at fancy rheology measurements. We've looked at finishing. Um, we've looked at all kinds of these the, these these things and pu- tried to put it together in that one simple, easy to use chart. And I've yet to find someone that didn't that, that said that it doesn't work. You know, um, no, you got you got to pay attention to not just the chart. You got to pay attention to the fine sand content and the coarse sand content. That's very important part of the chart. Um, but but I've yet to find someone that that didn't find it to work, and I'm not challenging challenging anyone out there to try to do it. But I'm just trying to say that like, by and large, and I'm not saying it's perfect, okay? But 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 by and large, it it, it usually performs pretty well for people. So. But but
0: also, what I thought was interesting because I plugged it in on a mix that I was messing with, and just looking at it on paper, I didn't I didn't personally pick out that this material was gap graded. And maybe it was an oversight on my part, but when I plugged it into the tarantula curve, you saw very quickly, like, ooh, there's a spike on the number sixteen. Wow. Way out of line. Way out of line. Like, okay, yeah. well, this sand's probably killing me. And I need to find something else or get some fines in here. I gotta do something in here because there's no way I'm gonna overcome this spike on this chart. You know, and as far as it not being perfect, I mean, find me anything that's perfect, number one. But <laughs> but number two, you know, we found that when you're using uh, some additives out there, that you can actually change some of the boundaries and widen the operating right. envelope. So,
1: no, and that's right on. That's that is exactly right. And when you get it, when as you as you start to look at more and more materials and you start to bring in more and more tools, yeah, you're you're right on. There's um you know viscosity modifiers out there like your product that can change what traditional concrete can do. You know what I mean? And um, they're very 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 valuable and helpful. in in some of those scenarios. So So
0: when we look at the history that we know of from your involvement in this industry and the super air meter was a a big commercialization, Um, I've heard you have hands and a few other uh, projects out there that were, your name might not be front and center, but you help guys design some of these mixes and things. Now you're doing 3d uh, printed concrete and your own spin on that. Do you see your future, Staying as an educator, is that is that is you're going to be teaching concrete to the we put you in the ground? Or do you see a day where you jump to the private
1: side? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in life, what's most important is you got to have fun with what whatever you're doing. And um, the university is a place that allows me to work with young people that are energized that have new ideas that work in an amazing concrete playground every single day that I can push the limits of what I know and don't know, that I can dream up something, write it down on a piece of paper and take it in and work with some great people to make a product to make the concrete industry better. As long as I still get to have fun and get to do all those things, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon, all right? But never say never, and you never know what's gonna happen, and, and um, who knows what the future holds, and I'm very open to it, but I love what I'm doing. Absolutely love what I'm doing, and and I'd like to keep doing it for for as long as I can um, foresee. So,
0: no, that's good. Uh, so, because when Dr. Brown, you know, left our alma mater and went into the private side, that you know we were all shook. Had no idea, and uh, you know, man, I never in my life thought that was gonna happen. I really thought she's gonna uh, stay there, and I'm, I'm happy for her. No. You know, nothing not negative. But when I saw that, I was like, wow, I wonder if these other people that we revere as academics, I wonder if they think about this too. If they think about um, you know, not always being an academic.
1: Yeah, well, you know, academic life is kinda is kinda wild and it's it's not for everybody. And I've been very blessed at Oklahoma State to have a lot of people that support me and what I do. And there has been nothing that I've wanted to do that I, that I haven't found a way, been able to find a way to do it at, at Oklahoma State. If it ever gets to a point where that, that situation goes away, if it ever gets to a point where I don't enjoy teaching or I don't enjoy it or they make it hard for me or whatever, then I'm, I'm going to change because I, I want to be happy. I think that's what's the most important thing. And, and um, you know, Heather is, is awesome. Um, she's She is awesome. She's been awesome for our industry. And I'm glad she made the move that she thought was best for her. And I think other people have done the same thing. And every single time they've done it, from what I know, it's always been the right move for them. And I think that's what's the most important thing. You have to do what's right for you. If you keep doing what's right for you, then um, I think the world will be a much better place. So...
0: Absolutely. She came on here and took an hour, and half of that hour was her explaining um, you know how that program at MTSU had been her life, and it was like 20 years she was there, and you you forget it's been that long. Time goes by so quickly, you forget that's how long it was. So with it being that long for her, it's like, you know what, it does make sense to make a change and hand off the reins and let someone else take it to a new place
1: and it's always fun to try something new you know what i mean it's always fun to be able to try something new and do something different but um yeah so
0: so two things getting back to college life Uh, thing number one one of the interesting things about your youtube audience and how how large it became so quickly uh, another professor that that happened to uh, was dr jordan peterson and we're not going to take this in a political direction. I want to take it in a professional direction. And so he made some comments way back when his uh, he became uh, his notoriety became a little bit more, and he made the comment of how shocked he was at the audience that was out there for what he was talking about and from philosophy for the people who don't know him, you know philosophy and psychology. And so what he exclaimed there was, the largest audience he could ever get was in the university, and it was 300 people, and 200 of that 300 didn't even want to be there and weren't really paying attention. And so at a certain point, he wasn't sure how well his message was getting through and that people really wanted to hear it, and all of a sudden, he gets a million views on YouTube. And to him, that was just like the most incredible thing as a professor to think that, wow, all this time and energy that I spent to something that I really love and that I want to help people be better at, other people want to hear this too. And I'm wondering if you had a similar sense when you saw the 60,000 views on a, a video that you didn't think twice about.
1: No, I, I think I think you're right on there. I think that, I, I think you don't realize how many people you can reach with social media, okay? Now, I will tell you that the, the depth that you reach them isn't the same as if you have them in a class every single day for an entire semester. And so I wouldn't want to give up one for the other, okay? Because I mean, 10 minute videos are a little bit long for most people to watch and it's hard to explain much if you don't have about 10 minutes. You know, you can do it, you can do it, but it's it's just challenging, you know? And, and um, so I think they're both important. I think, and but you're right. If you want, if, if you if you want to talk about raw numbers, it's amazing how many people you can you can reach with YouTube, with Instagram, with Facebook, with LinkedIn, with whatever. And I think we need to use that for what it's good for. Just the quick, the light touches, the reminders to say like, hey, there is a video out here about the tarantula curve. But then, if you'll notice, in that video, I've got a website linked. You know, that's got tons of reports and tons of papers and tons of free resources so that they can go deeper and deeper and deeper. Or I'll reference other videos that they can get more information and more information. And so, um, yeah, man, I think it just depends what you want to do, but I was definitely shocked at the number of people I was able to reach on YouTube as opposed to talking every day. And, and, and I think it's good to be able to do both because I think they both have their plus and minuses too. And the
0: other thing I'll say about college the second thing I wanted to hit on is usually in the news the information that's being talked about universities and colleges so negative it's about how campus life is crazy and the students are out of control and all this stuff and I tell you what man it was a breath of fresh air being at Oklahoma State for that day that we were there because I didn't see any of that nonsense that you see on the news I saw hard-working kids that knew They were a part of something that they were trying to make a difference. And they had their pedal to the metal. Now, they might not have been doing everything perfectly, but you were there as their coach and their guide. Say, hey, don't forget to grab that and don't forget to do this. And oh, guys, let me, and you step back and you let them, hey, they weren't perfect, but you let them learn and make a couple of minor things. But it was so nice to see hardworking young people that were like working to make a material difference in like the construction industry. It was just so much better than what you see on the nightly news. And I just really wanted to make a comment of that for everybody to know that there is a place, even if it's the only university out there, but we saw it (laughs) where there was no craziness, no, no no activist protesters, just kids working hard and getting an education.
1: I think there's more of that out there than um, uh, people realize. I think, I think it on the news, the, the, Shocking things sell, right? That's what people want to promote and push and whatever. And I think, dude, I think our future is bright. I think these these kids are different, you know, but I think they care and they work hard and they're going to do things differently than we have. But I think it's okay. I think we just got to keep all talking and working together. And, dude, I am so excited about the future. I am so excited about the future with, with the students that I get to work with every day and I can't speak if they're how other schools are because I don't I'm not in other schools but I bet they're pretty similar to Oklahoma State or the majority of them are I at least or at least the good ones are so yeah I I do
0: wonder though do you think the kids that are coming through now are smarter and you know everybody always wants to dog the next generation you're actually saying nice things and in my experience I have a young daughter and she's way smarter than I was in for, when I was in first grade. She's in first grade when I was in first grade, and I I wasn't a dumb first grader. But she's way ahead of me. But she's got all these online tools that she's been yeah. learning stuff since she was four that she would have yeah. no clue who even existed until she was like eight or nine, and she's already trying to master these things now that she's six. So I don't yeah. know if that's translating to the university level or not.
1: No, I think it totally is. I think I think these kids have have skills and. Abilities that we didn't have and I I think that um, the future is super bright man. I I really do I I I really think it's bright and I think that they have different experiences You know, maybe maybe they didn't build as much stuff as we did maybe you know Maybe but they'll have different skills and different abilities and and they'll they'll able to learn anything that they need that's that's the cool thing about it and um, so like I said, I think the future is super bright. I think we've got some amazing, amazing kids coming through, and we just need to kind of like what I try to do is is just coach them, just like you said, tell them what I think, you know, let them do their thing, and then if I see something that I think could be be better, let them know about that, and and but keep making it the, it about their journey and about them, you know, and I I think good things will happen. I I really do. Yeah, I
2: kind of forgot. Uh, a couple of times while we were at Oklahoma State that we were like at a class you, you were you had a class going on right then because it was hard for me to just like not to jump in and start doing something and then I had to step back and realize like oh these kids I they have to do this <laughs> this is what they're yeah. here for instead of like, being out on. For. yeah instead of being out on the job site and you just
0: you need something to get done you just do it and no questions yeah. asked well when you grab the hammer and you were telling like i forget which kid you're like no you got to hit this thing and you start beating the crap out of, out of the machine the look on that kid's face was like oh my gosh like like no you're not gonna hurt this like this is quarter inch thick steel like, like beat it brother that's how you learn it's a good lesson for him it, it was yeah uh what do we say a uh, big hammer joey what do you say is the most important tool or something like that oh
2: bfh a big effing hammer it is the, it's solved more problems on a job site than probably anything else in the world. That's true.
0: That's true. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Uh, Dr. Lay, did you have anything else uh, to share, anything you want to plug before we get you out of here?
1: No, I mean, I'll tell you, um, if you'll just pay attention to my YouTube channel, I think you'll, you'll figure out new things that are going on. You can find that at youtube.com forward slash Tyler Lay, T-Y-L-E-R-L-E-Y. And um, I would love for you to, you know, become a subscriber and watch my videos and stay tuned. And if you ever see me out and about, feel free to reach out to me and say hi. Um, one other thing that I'd like to small plug, you talked about the super air meter before, which is a, which is a sweet tool to look at air void system. Um, there's a new tool that I have that, to measure the water to cement ratio in fresh concrete called the Phoenix. And it was at ACI at, at, at the Gilson booth. And, and you can find more information about that if you care about consistent, good concrete at concretephoenix.com. And they'll be Gilson's website will be up, I'm sure, soon where they'll start talking about it um, as well. But those are all tools that we hope to help make the concrete in- industry better. Because um, although we can have great people, lots of different places, it's pretty cool to have a tarantula curve you know spreadsheet. You know what I mean? Where you can just type the stuff in and look at it. It's pretty cool to have something out there that can tell you if your water content's off. It's pretty cool to have something that can tell you if, you know, your air void system is is not is not where it should be and give you tools on how to get back to where it should be. And so, again, I'm building these tools for old me, okay? When I was a contractor, when I used to work for a DOT, when I used to be, you know, con- concrete filled person, um, I needed these tools. And that's what I'm trying to build every single day. And I love to hear from people out there about what they think and what they know and what they, what they want. That helps me learn and move that, move, move the ball forward. So I appreciate everybody and I appreciate the time, Joey and Paul for having me here on, on the, on the podcast today. And, and um, yeah, thanks again. and I'm excited to see, see what you guys do
0: next. Appreciate that, man. Um, we'll, we'll need to get you back in here at some point soon when the Phoenix Is available for sale through Gilson they got their website up when that let's get you back on here for an explainer for that and I think it'll be better when it's out and people can actually have something to look at and talk about Uh, in the meantime uh, the video for the 3d uh, printed concrete that you did will include that link in the description Uh, the link to the websites that you just rattled off we'll make sure those are also in the link of the description of this page so guys you don't have to write that down we will include that here at the bottom
1: sweet thank you guys you're very
0: welcome thank you sir have a wonderful day take care
3: and that's going to do it for this episode of the ed 10 gallons concrete podcast we really appreciate you guys coming along with us and i hope you enjoyed the episode uh sorry i couldn't be present for the uh interview with dr lay Uh, as you as you guys know this is a post-edit show uh, and we had some audio difficulties during the interview however Uh, When we went back to record the current event section that we put before the interview, uh, we did so with a brand new soundboard and brand new mic. So I hope I'm coming in crystal clear to you guys. And uh, henceforth, uh, the audio quality for this particular program will be much improved. And uh, we're very happy to say that. So feel free to follow us along here on social media. We have a YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook page. Check us out on LinkedIn as well check us out there for new content. We also clip out uh, certain sections of interviews and and tease upcoming interviews as well. So a lot of good content to be found there. And uh, also, you know, engage with us on social media. If you're coming out to the World of Concrete in January or other industry trade shows, uh, make sure you drop us a line. Let us know if you're going to be there and we'll we'll meet up and talk with you for a little bit. Always nice to see and meet and greet uh, listeners of the show out there in the wild in common spaces. So A big thank you to ActiGel208 for being presenting sponsor of this show. Big thanks to Tyler Lay for his time and uh, all the great things that he continues to teach us and everybody uh, through his YouTube program and everything that he does at Oklahoma State. Uh, And we hope to get him on the show again in the short term. So uh, until next time, y'all be good.